Good morning. Those of you here, those joining us by Zoom, we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. As we think about this, love heads the list. Love is the thing that really captures all the other fruit. It's the defining fruit. And let's remind ourselves of the character of divine love. That becomes really important as we think about goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. A couple things about that um, says, do unto others as you would have them do to you. And the one thing that we recognize with divine love is that it's more verb than noun. Divine love, when it talks about God's love, it's not so much something you feel, but something you do. And again, it says here, do to others as you would have them do unto you. That's the golden rule. So divine love is active. It's more action than emotion. Also, another thing that's different with divine love is not what it is, but its reach. That's what it says. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And what it bases here, our kindness is to be drawn from God's kindness. And what it says here, God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And that's the thing about kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It's not just something that we are to extend toward those we are comfortable with. It's to be extended toward those we are not comfortable with. And that is a really, really tall order. And so when we think about love and kindness, it's not just that we do things that help people. It's that the people that we help are those that we might not necessarily be comfortable with. Divine love embraces enemies. And for all of us, that is a very tall order. And that's what we're going to talk about. How do you develop the capacity to do that? That's what we'll talk about this morning. Um, again, divine love is not really a feeling. If you have somebody that's done something to you that's harmed you, the idea that you can emotionally embrace them in love is not very realistic and not what this passage is saying. It's not saying feel lovingly towards an enemy, but if your enemy is in a place where they are needing something, they are impoverished, they need clothes, they need food, you're in a position to help them, to do something for them, then that's what this verse is indicating. Do for them what you would like for them to do to you. Divine love is the goal, but here's the question, how do we reach it? And there's a couple of things when we think about love. And when we look at this list, this list kind of divides in half. What we see is there are, when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, it's about learning to exhibit godly responses 
even to those that we are not very close to or we might consider not friendly. Um, These godly responses are kindness. And we'll look at these today. We'll look at kindness and we'll look at the rest over the course of the next four weeks. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What we're told is to learn to exhibit these qualities to individuals. Before we can exhibit godly responses, and that's where the, the first three things, we've got to learn to inhibit ungodly reactions. When you and I are put in a place where we don't get what we want, we have unmet needs and unfulfilled desires, we are forced to wait for something we don't want to wait for. We really don't like to do that. We don't like to have to wait. The process of inhibiting a natural but an ungodly reaction is what the first three qualities are about. Joy exists in the context of enduring trials. Peace exists. In fact, we looked at these, we kind of, in terms of joy is the light at the end of the tunnel. And what joy is, it's like a mother giving birth. She knows what's going to happen when she brings her child into the world. And for that reason, she endures the difficulty knowing that it will be worth it. But while she's going through that difficulty, it's not happy. That's why joy is not happiness. Joy is the light at the end of the tunnel, knowing that if I endure this, I will get to some place where I will be glad for what I have gone through. That's joy, and peace is calm in the midst of a storm. And the, the picture of peace, this represents the boat that Jesus was on with the disciples when they were out in the Sea of Galilee, halfway across the sea, then a furious squall stormed, and then in this boat, they are bailing like crazy. And what we actually observed, you can be in the middle of God's will and be bailing like crazy because God, that's what Jesus said, let's go into the boat to the other side. And so they hopped in the boat, they were going to the other side, and a storm came. So they are in the middle of this sea being swamped, not because they were out of the will of God, because they were in it. And what we discovered then is that God will call us into places that are difficult places. And in this boat, then Jesus is asleep in the stern. And that's a picture of calm. We talked about sometimes God calms the storm. But there's other times he allows the storm to rage and calms his child. And that's what peace is. Peace is calm in the midst of a storm. And then we talked about patience. Patience, a couple different ways to look at it. The calm acceptance that things can happen in a different order than the one you have in mind. And that seems to be the thing about patience. Patience is, as we looked, it's the in, it's inhibiting a reaction You didn't get what you want, and it's the ability to control an automatic response and to wait so that it's not a reaction that is given, but more a response. If I think of the difference between reaction and response, reaction is natural. It comes quickly. A response is when you're able to think about something 
consider it, and then do something that is you might not have been able to do had you reacted. Um, another way to see it, patience is where the rubber hits the road. If you look at these, there's love, joy, peace, and patience. And patience begins to turn the focus from these attitudes that we develop with God towards attitudes that we express towards others. So in order to exhibit godly responses, we have to learn to inhibit natural but not godly reactions. This verse that we're familiar with, it says, love is patient, love is kind. Last week we looked at patience. Today we're looking at kindness. Patience opens the door to kindness. In order for us to be kind, not just to those we're comfortable to, but those who are not, then we've got to have developed patience in order to be able to extend kindness as broadly as God asks us to do so. When we think of kindness, think of a couple of things. Kindness means usefulness. It's doing for someone something that they need for you to do. They need, they have a need, you're in a position to meet it, and you do so. It's usefulness, and it, it comes from a genuine goodness of heart. When we think of kindness biblically, it's, it's this awareness of what the person needs. You take another person's perspective. You feel what that person feels, and because of the compassion that comes up, there is a desire to be able to meet somebody's need. And it's, again, we've looked at the capacity to show kindness to everyone is what uh, kind of differentiates biblical kindness from the kind of kindness that we talk about and see in greeting cards and see on posters. It's nice to be kind, but biblical kindness has an edge to it because of how broad we're to reach. The idea of kindness is nice. Now, you think of kindness. That's a nice thing. It's nice to be kind. It's nice for us to be kind. It's nice for somebody to be kind to us. The idea of kindness is nice and pleasant, but the path to kindness looking biblically, is difficult and at times unpleasant. For us to be able to extend the kindness as broadly as God would have us to do so, the path that would lead us to be able to express that is difficult and unpleasant. It involves, it's a word that we'll look at, a couple of verses in the Bible and we need to get it clear what it is and isn't, but what it requires is discipline. Discipline. And let's talk about that a little bit. There's a, there's a verse um, says in Deuteronomy, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. 
What's happening is that when God chose the sons of Israel, the children of Abraham, to be those to and through whom he would introduce himself to the world, he went th- he put them through a process where he developed them into being his representatives, and they would need then to learn to tune in to his word because he was going to give them words and they would need to understand these words so that they could reflect them to others. And so he put them through a process where they would learn to tune in his word because there's all kinds of noise in the world. There's the noise of our desires, and then there's the noise of what other people's desires are. And to learn to tune in God's word is not an easy process, but that's what he did. So he led them into the wilderness. And it seemed like they were walking in circles, but they weren't. And it says he did a couple of things. And this is the process whereby God enables someone to learn the things that will allow them to be his representative. Well, you notice first, it says he, um, he caused them to hunger. And you think about what does it mean to cause somebody to hunger? We have natural needs. You know what hunger is? It's a God-given response system that lets us know. It's a God-given alarm system that lets us know that we have a need that if we don't meet it, it's going to be threatening for us. That's what hunger is. And so he causes, he caused them to hunger. He put them in a place where they did not have what they needed. And again, it wasn't because they did anything wrong. He didn't put them in this place to punish them. What he was doing, he was putting them into a place that they would learn how to tune in, not just their growling stomach, but tune in his word to them. And so he caused them to hunger. And then he fed them with manna, which neither they nor their fathers had known. He fed them in an unexpected way. And so what God did to them, he caused them to hunger and fed them in an unexpected way to teach them that man does not live on bread alone, but everything that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Bread and what we need comes from God, but so do his words. And here's what he says. What God's going to do and what he did do to his children, he severed the supply line of the kind of things that he provides, food. And he causes there to be a a shortage. So in the context of feeling that hunger, they need to direct their focus to him. And as they do so, he's able to get them to understand him in a way that they wouldn't. And again, hunger is unpleasant. And the reason why I point this out is you might be in a place where you don't have what you need or may want or maybe need. And you're wondering, I wonder what I did wrong. You haven't done anything wrong. This is the path that God leads us on to develop the abilities to be kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-control. He causes us to In fact, if I was to put this in hunger... Humility, hearing. 
what do you need to do to be able to hear God in a way that would be more deeply than you do now? It's going to involve, apparently, hunger, humility, which is humility is the experience of not being able to use what you have to get what you want. That's what humility is. It's, I can't use what I have to get what I want. So hunger, humility, and in that neediness, we end up thinking about God and relating to him in a way that we wouldn't. Um, somebody said, you don't trust God until you have to. I think that's probably a good statement. Look what it says. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. That's part of the thing. There's a disruption in need, but your feet don't blister. I, I, was, I went on a thing when, um, I, uh, because of COVID, I used to go to the wellness center, and but going around in the wellness center didn't seem to be a really good idea. Now it's opening back up. But anyway, so I started walking. And so I said, walking, that's got to be a piece of cake. You know what I mean, walking. I mean, gee, it was. So anyways, there's a street out here. And so I started to walk out here. And then there's a park by hand. And so in the first, I was walking. And I figured, this is easy. You know what I mean? So I, 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 naturally, I can't just walk a little way. I had to walk miles. And so I, did, I walked a couple miles that way. And then a couple miles this way. And I started to do that. And what I started to notice is that my feet were blistering. And... And it's a little bit, it's harder to walk. It's hard enough. I found that walking actually is pretty good exercise, um, even though I didn't think it was going to be. But it's, what I discovered, it's really hard to walk with, with blisters. And what the interesting thing about the, the Israelites is that they, uh, their feet didn't blister, which was, I guess, a good thing, but a bad thing, because they didn't want to be walking around in the wilderness for 40 years to begin with. But at any rate, it says that... Um, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. When the Bible talks about discipline, discipline literally literally means child rearing. Discipline is not punishment biblically. It can be. We're raised in places where discipline was was perhaps yeah not child rearing. It might have been harsh, but that's not the biblical image. Discipline biblically is future-oriented than past-oriented. When we think of discipline sometimes, we think of it, you did something wrong, and therefore this is what's going to have to happen. You stepped out of line, therefore this is what has to happen. And discipline really, from a biblical perspective, is not focusing on what you did wrong. It's focusing on what you will do right when you go through this process, when you are caused to hunger and you're fed in an unexpected way. You will be able to know God's voice in a way that you don't know. It's not about the negative things that you were doing. It's about the positive things you will do. That's discipline biblically. It's future-oriented. And it's love-based, not anger-based. Sometimes we discipline our children in anger. And again, that, that happens. God, it, that's not the image for God. It's not based in his wrath. It's based in his love. Um, what it says, um, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. When it says Endure hardship as discipline. This is literally what it's saying. It is for the sake of discipline that you endure. It is for the sake of discipline that you endure. Why should we keep going? It's difficult. I don't. And so, 
what's in it for us if we keep walking a path that seems to be difficult? And that's what the first century Jewish Christians were having to contend with. They were, many of them, deprived of their livelihood and their neighborhood. They were forced out of Jerusalem. They couldn't do the job they needed to do. They were out in the Roman Empire, and that might have been okay to begin with, but they can't get really good jobs. They're not accepted by Gentiles because they're Jews. They're not accepted by Jews because they're Jewish Christians. And they're wondering, why should I even go on? Why should I even go on? Um, Told a story about having to do with Navy SEALs and that there's a training that Navy SEALs go through that's very difficult and there is a bell there and if those who are in the training they just can't do it anymore they just that's it I can't take it what they can do they can go over and ring the bell three times and then they're out of the program So what's happening in the early church, um, this process of being a Jewish Christian and not really being able to be in the synagogue was very difficult. And so what's happening, some of these Jewish Christians are ringing the bell. They're saying, "I, I just can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I need to be able to be back in the synagogue where my friends are, where I can be provided for, where I can be reasonably sure that my life is going to be okay. That's, that's kind of what's happening in the, in the context. And they're tired of having to, to miss out. And what he says to them when they're asking, why should I keep going? And he says, it's for the purpose of discipline that you endure. God is using this to develop spiritual muscle. And spiritual muscle needs to be developed the ability to extend kindness as far as the Bible would have us to is going to require spiritual muscle, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's going to require spiritual strength, and that develops over time. There's a, a, a story, not, not real, but it's, it's a little story about this guy who he uh, talked to God. And, and he said, I want to be useful to you. And then God said, okay, here's what I want you to do. Uh, you see that rock there? That big rock over there? He says, yeah, I see the rock. He goes, I want you to push on it. I said, okay, and, and what should I do? When should I stop? Don't stop till I tell you to. Okay. And the guy went over there, and, and he starts to push on the rock. And he's pushing on the rock and pushing on the rock and pushing on the rock and pushing on the rock, and it occurs to him, this rock is not moving. Why does he have me pushing on the rock to begin with? And he pushes on the rock a little bit, but then he starts, you know what, this is stupid. I'm not going to push on this rock anymore. And then he ends up kind of opting out, ring the bell. I'm not going to do this anymore. And then God showed up and said, okay, um, I noticed you're not pushing on the rock. And, and he said, no, it was stupid. It wasn't going anywhere. And what God said to him, well, it wasn't about pushing the rock out of the way. It had nothing to do with the rock. It had to do with you. What do you mean? I want you to look at your back now. And the muscle that's been developed because you've been pushing against this rock. That's what this was about. It was to strengthen you. 
Not so that you'd move the rock, but you would be in a position where you would be able to be stronger, do things that you wouldn't normally be able to do. Um, that is the image biblically. It says, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live at peace, live in peace with all men, and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You know, when we think of holiness, we think of somebody who leads the pack spiritually, somebody who can read the Bible more, pray more, give more, do more than others. Biblically, though, holiness is not reflected by being out in front of the crowd, kind of leading the way biblically, if you, if you would see somebody who's very confident of their ability to be spiritual and they lead the way. That's what we think of when we think of holiness. But interestingly, holiness is not reflected out in front of the crowd. This picture is of an individual. They're walking on a path. And what they notice on the path, there's people that aren't able to keep up. They're stumbling and they're falling. They're, and so this individual, because he understands, she understands what it's like to stumble, starts to fall back and clear some of the rocks out of the way because they're looking not to the front, but to those who are lagging behind, those who are unable to keep up. And so he starts to, to move the rocks out of the way and, and clear the path, not for himself, herself, but for those who are coming along behind. That's the image of holiness. Holiness is evidenced not by being out in front of the pack, Interestingly, it's lagging toward the end of the pack to be able to assist those who ha are having a hard time making their way. Um, there is a, and this kind of gives us an image for kindness, uh, Megan Vogel. She had run a 3,200 meters race and had won it. And she was then running a 1,600 meters race when she was toward the back of the pack and she noticed there was a, a young girl, the one in the, the dark, who was struggling and she wasn't able to keep going. And so what en Megan ended up doing is she paused her own race and put, draped this woman's, I forget the, the other woman's name, arm around her shoulder and then assisted her to get to the finish line. And it, it, naturally, she talked about, why did you do that? And she said, I, I just didn't want her to have to run alone. And I wanted to have, help her get across the line. This is what kindness looks like. It's not leading the way. It's being available to those who are having a hard time keeping up, understanding what it's like to be struggling. And trying to help someone else. There is a prayer in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It has 12 steps. And the set, the step seven prayer, I want you to see this. I really like this prayer. Having gone through these things where you identify your fears and 
things that you've done that you didn't, that's part of the step four and step five, where you do a fearless moral inventory. You identify those things you wish you hadn't done. And then in step five, you speak that out to someone. Step six, you come to the place of willingness. And it asks the question, are, are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things that we admitted are objectionable? So the process in the 12 steps is you identify the things that are objectionable. And in step six, you come to the place of willingness. And here's the question. Are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things that we had admitted are objectionable? Can he now take them all, everyone? And that's where, and that's really brilliant. It's identifying the things you don't want to be true about yourself, the things that you'd like to be. I'd like to be kinder. I'd like to be better. I'd like to be faithful, gentle, and self-controlled, and I'm not. And what the step six prayer is, God, I am willing that you should remove from me. Well, and this is, the, this is, and this is step seven is the prayer. My creator, I am willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. Again, the thing I like about it, you don't separate the lights and the darks. You know, like when you put the wash in, you have a light load and a dark load. And let's equate that with things about ourselves. You know, we have things that are good and things that are bad. What this prayer says, you don't separate them out. Because relative to being useful, you don't know what's helpful and what isn't. So what you do, you put yourself into this basket. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I ask that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my happiness. Right? Every single defect of character that stands in the way of my happiness. Holiness, hmm? usefulness. Would you, would you agree with me? I want you to think about the defects of character that stand in the way of happiness. COVID, you know, again, you might think there's a number of things. Think of the defects of character that stand in the way of usefulness. Those aren't the same list, are they? There might be things that would allow you to be useful that might not allow you to be happy in the short term, but joyful and peaceful and patience in the long term. Uh, let's close in prayer. And I'm going to say this prayer, and if it reflects where you are, you can maybe repeat it in your heart to God. Not wrote, but I really like what it says. My creator, God, I am now willing that you should have all of me, all of me, good and bad. I ask that you now remove from me every single defective character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen.